I looked at my firefighters and we got to drop our packs. We, we, we have to run. And the fire is right below us. I could feel the radiant heat coming up the hill. And I was like, we're going to have to deploy. This is the Wildfire Lessons podcast. Our goal is to promote learning by revealing the complexity and risk in the wildland fire environment. We share the lessons. The learning that follows is up to you. Hi, I'm Kelly Woods, Director of the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center. On today's podcast, Travis Dotson from our staff visits with Chris Fry about his entrapment and eventual fire shelter deployment on the Mud Fire in Nevada in 2006. We'll hear Chris recount this experience and talk about how it shaped him in his career and personally. To learn more about the Mud Fire, visit our website, wildfirelessons.net, and search Mud Fire. That's M-U-D-D, Fire. Here you'll find links to various reports and a video, which will provide some additional context to Chris's experience. Let's listen to Chris's story and try to put yourself in his boots on that day. Hello, Travis Dotson here, analyst at the Wildland Fire Lessons Learn Center. Today, we're going to hear from Chris Fry. Chris, you want to give us a little bit of who you are and what we're doing today? Yeah, sure. Um, currently, I'm uh, detailed as uh, acting assistant director for the Lessons Learn Center. My day job is a uh, assistant district fire management officer on the Angeles National Forest. 2006, I was involved in a uh, fire shelter deployment burnover and uh, wanted to chat a little bit about uh, some of the lessons I learned on that and some of the things that came out of that incident, uh, burn protocol and, and a couple of other good things, um, some silver linings to the to the dark clouds there. Let's get into it. Why don't you uh, kind of give us the background of kind of building up to that? How did you end up on that assignment, that kind of stuff? At the time of the incident, I was working for BLM, signed to an engine module out of Bakersfield District. I think it's called the Sencal District now. Um, so I'll start off with the, 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 the beginning of our fire season that year. My uh, engine module leader, uh, the captain on the engine, had uh, decided to uh, take a job with uh, Fight and Fire for Department of Defense. So uh, that left a gap. We did not have a module leader. I think at the time I was an engine boss trainee, um, and so I wasn't able to run the module. But we also had a one of the hotshot um, squad bosses that was uh, on the district's uh, hotshot crew. He needed some engine time, and he wanted to work on his um, engine skills. So uh, early in the season, they put him out and got his engine boss finished, put him in a uh, 120-day detail into the uh, engine captain position. Uh, I was the, the engine operator for, for the engine, and then it was a Type 6, and it was not the nice Type 6s that we have now. <laughs> it was a single cab stick shift. Whoever sat in the middle was extremely uncomfortable, especially mm-hmm. when we went uh, anywhere on a long uh, trip, road trip to a fire. Um, but because of uh, trying to build the module and get experience, our, our AFMO at the time tried to send us out on as many fires as we could, just to, and in as many assignments as we could to get get our our engine quals refined. That year, beginning uh, of the season, man, we were on every roll. It was just back to back to back. We, um, I'm going to tell you this quick story because it'll tie in later. That year, the the Six Rivers and the Shasta Trinity had been all on fire, and we were sent up there as a single engine, and we got there and. The, the incident really had no use for us, so they kicked us to the local forest, and we went to uh, the, the Six Rivers uh, Ruth District, um, or Mad River District, excuse me, out of Ruth. For those of you who don't know the Six Rivers, um, it's a very remote district. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we go to cover that district, and uh, we, they put us at a guard station that was way out in the middle of nowhere, and we really had nothing to do. So we did a lot of training and we did a lot of fire shelter drills. We broke into the engine's cache and uh, found their practice shelters and we ran up their PT uh, hike hill up to the first bench and we would practice getting into the shelters and first one out had to do push-ups. Well, Trenton and, and I, uh, my module leader, we weren't going to be the first one out. We didn't want to do the most push-ups. So <laughs> our poor new, brand new rookie firefighter, every time I think he was up to about a, uh, 800, seven or 800 push-ups that he owed us, which he, he ended up doing. So fast forward, two more assignments and we get called to go to uh, a cover. Northern Nevada was getting just a ton of lightning. Uh, they had a multiple complex fires going up there and um, they we were sent on a severity request to go up and augment their resources. So 
So we get to, to the Elko dispatch and they say, you're going to help staff uh, the local resources here for the Elko BLM district. I was pretty excited about um, prior seasons I had worked down in Las Vegas. Uh, so I knew a couple of the folks up there. So it's pretty, pretty stoked, you know, kind of some familiar territory of, you know, that great basin, uh, sagebrush. And so for, we're there one day and we break a, a pretty big fire. So th- this whole, this whole fire season was kind of, when you talk about the, the phases of team building, uh, you know, we, we were past the form stage, obviously, um, but we were, we'd been in and out of the storm phase uh, as a module, and it was more between my module leader and myself. Um, at the time, I was, you know, seven, eight years in um, as a firefighter, and I, man, I thought I knew it all. You know, I was that I was that guy who'd been there, seen that, done that, and, uh, yeah. and I retrospect looking back, that caused a lot of friction to, between uh, my module leader and myself, so... We went on the Snow Canyon fire first day there, and we man, we first time our engine performed. We we were flawless. We we had minimal resources. It was a 28,000 acre fire by the time it was done, and we burned, I don't know how many miles of road, uh, just a, a Type Six, a Type Four, and a and a uh, NDF inmate crew for to hold. Uh, that was, oh that was gosh, basically what we had. Uh, you know, isn't that the, I love that that it, assignment. You know what I mean? You got firing and not that many resources and uh oh man i did it's it's just fun <laughs> oh man it was it was fun you know it's the first time we get there right right off the bat and off uh, my firefighter had never uh had never done a mobile attack you know we cut the fence and we're, we're starting to right right when we get on the fire and we start doing a mobile attack and you can see he looks back at me in the truck and he i could see all the he's out in front of me and he's got just the, the smoke in his face He's like gagging. He's got the snot running down his nose, but he's got a huge smile on his face. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's just he's having so much fun. And then, uh, man, we did a I think a 24 hour shift on that before we got resources to relieve us, and we passed out in some uh, rancher's uh, pond, you know, right by his pond, just to just to get some sleep. And mm-hmm. man, we 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 were performing. That was that was awesome. So good times. Yeah, well, it was. So we go down to meet our two to one, and we come back to elk oh and uh they, they have us cover the carlin station and not God, not even three hours into being covering their station the mud fire breaks out it, it started north of elko in the snow bowl ski resort so the drive in was a was a long drive in to get to there i mean i think the response was you know 45 minutes from carlin station maybe even longer uh, it, it seemed like it was a long drive and we tie in with the uh ic via radio and he tells us to go to the uh snowball ski resort and tie in with the uh, uh division group soup there and uh there was four engines that were we were all kind of we were all covering the district we all we all were out of carlin there we had a type four from carson city blm uh the type four from uh from local elko engine and then we had the uh a type six from uh, the Arizona Strip or, or somewhere further south there, and we were kind of almost like a task force uh, and throwing together task force. And and the uh, the module leader from the Elko engine was as, acting as a task force uh, leader. He, he had the he brought his chase truck and he was in the chase truck. And sure. so we we tie in with the uh, with the division group soup and he says, hey, look what you can do out in front of this thing. We want to keep this from going into the town of Elko. Let's see if you can find some roads to fire off of and. And, and and see if we can either corral this thing to away from Elko or or you know stop it. Standard Elko protocol, right? Every yeah. time you go out there, it's yeah. like find a just road. Find a road and fire it off, you know. <laughs> yeah. So just by happenstance, you know, we did an RTO with the with with all the engines and and uh, we ended up being the first one in, uh, to head out uh, in front of this thing and we came to this this large junction of of maze spiderwebbed uh, dirt roads out there and um, we kind of scouted out because the other type fours were still pretty far behind us um and this at this point the fires you know it's doing what it's doing and you know it's kind of just eating through the sage nothing crazy fire behavior wise um was going on um uh, it was making uphill runs towards the the ski resort and that was about it my module leader myself and, and my firefighter a little scouting and, and we took a look and some of these roads were like, man, this, this is not good. This is a lot of acreage, a lot of uh, to to burn off of and, and try to hold with what we got here. Mm. So uh, we went back to the, the main junction and the, the module leaders, uh, well, actually all the engines, we all jumped out and module leaders had a discussion on um, what we were going to do, uh, our tactics. And they they made a decision collectively, uh, the module leaders, to jump in the, the chase truck and task force leaders vehicle and go go up and, and find a place where we could anchor in and 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 start firing so we're waiting you know i'm talking with engine operator from elko i knew him we'd worked the season prior together um down and he'd come down and helped us in, in vegas and so 
we uh, just talking and we uh, get a call over over the radio from uh, the the task force. They just hey, hey come up up come up the road and we found a pretty good spot. I got eyes on you guys. I can see you guys coming up and so well, we jump in the trucks. Um, and I again because where I where I was positioned, I was positioned to to lead the the the, the task force up. And so we start up this canyon road. What time of day are we talking about here? It's an afternoon sometime, right? So I think it was about two o'clock is when the fire started. By the time we okay. got on scene, it was about 1500 or so. Um, okay. And so by the time we had already tied in, we're, we're looking, we're bumping around this. It's probably about 1600 and the fire's getting pretty good steam. I, I think it was right. probably five, 5,000 acres, 6,000 acres at the time. And so uh, we start heading up this, this Canyon road. We, we, they were looking up at some of these ridge tops and, and uh, all of a sudden as we're driving up, I, I, also, I see fire coming up through a little saddle out my window. I'm like, what the main, main papyrus should be ahead of us why why do we have fire looking out my driver's side window why do i have fire over here didn't compute uh, i got on the radio and I, the elko engine was the last engine in, in in the back at the time and i said i radioed the operator said, hey you see that out your out our window and he goes yeah where did that come from something like that and i, I we're and we're going up a canyon road up that's gonna it's mm-hmm. gonna narrow canyon road that's gonna go up to the top of the ridge eventually and i'm like man we didn't didn't sit sit right with us so we we end up making the decision to uh, over the radio with the other engine operators that we're going to turn around and head back to our the the junction the safety zone what we didn't know is uh, a thunderstorm you know 20 20 to 30 miles to the west of us had collapsed and just that, those outflow winds just started throwing fire everywhere our, our situational awareness had been completely cut off it's in august in elko it's 100 yeah. 110 degrees outside so and we're on a dusty road getting dusted out by the trucks so we've got our windows up and the air conditioners on you know, we're, we're, we're not, and we're in a shel- pretty sheltered canyon at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know what was going on around us just because of, uh, you know, with the weather, just because we, we, we didn't have that situational awareness. Mm-hmm. So about the engines were allowed to, I'll, I'll never forget, because I, I, when I found it on the uh, topo, topo map, it was Mule Springs. It was just a little spring area that was the engines could turn around. I'd already passed it. I told told the operator on the Elko engine, I said, all right, I'm going to go up the road and find a place to turn around um, and, and I'll meet you guys back there. And uh, I come across the road. I finally find uh, a decent spot to turn around. And I turn around and I come, as I'm coming back down around a, a, a bend, I see there's fire below me now. It, oh, the fire geez. blown across uh, the road at that point and was chasing the other three engines back out towards their safety zone. Mm. So I'm like, great, man. I got my, my, my primary safety zone is cut off. While we were driving up the canyon, I, I noticed there was a uh, repeater site. I just happened to see it, you know, going up. And I could tell where it was and I could see it now. I'm like, OK, that, I don't know why I filed that in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. So I asked the operator on uh, the Elko engine, I said, hey, do you, do you think I can get through that? He goes, I don't know, man. Uh, contact the, the Carson City engine and, and see what they say. And I tried to contact them and couldn't get a hold of them. So this time, you know, meanwhile, I'm trying to get a, also try to contact my module leader, on, you know, they're, they're using the, the main fires using SOA, you know, scene of action, not mm-hmm. the main BLM TAC frequency. And it is just jammed with uh, yeah. radio traffic, you know, and I'm not getting through to them. So I'm like, man, I, I looked at my firefighter, so we need to get up there to where they're at, where, where our module leader is at now. This is not a good spot to be in. So we turned so, back But you around. had to make that that decision because this, this is a, a thing that um, occurs. But what you were asking that engine was, can I drive kind of through that fire, kind of like how either how deep is it or, you know, how hot is that what you were asking that yeah. other engine? Correct. Right. Yeah, I was I was trying to see if, if I could make it through and get through back down to our, where our safety zone was. Yeah. And even just that in itself is like, you know, because a lot most of us have have been in a scenario where you take a take a moment, and you pause and you go, I could probably I could probably get through there, even if maybe the fire hasn't crossed yet or whatever. And and it's this decision, but it's it's so I don't know, just that moment is just it's brutal. Right. You know what I mean? Because nobody can actually help you make that decision. But yeah, you yeah. also know, like clock is ticking, man. Like yep. if you're going to do it, it's probably better right now than than. And, and, and I was definitely the clock was ticking. I was definitely getting closer to that that small side of the time wedge. There was no yeah. no doubt about it. There, I, I was already I was past that, you know, analytical decision making point. One hundred percent. Something made you decide you had to turn around and and, and go back up because you still had clear road behind you at the moment. Correct. At the yeah. moment. Yeah. And my gut told me I needed to turn back around. At, uh, sure. um, so so I turned up back around and. 
we're man, we're 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 climbing out of that that canyon, getting up towards the the ridge top, and I, I see the fire is just completely blown across uh, uh in front of me, and I'm going, I, and I can't see what's gone behind the ridge, and I and let alone did I not even know where my where my uh, the modulators were, you know, um, exactly. I had an idea. And, and they, they weren't communicating with us. And I, and I come to find out later the reason why they I wasn't getting any communication from them was because they were getting hit hard by fire and they were in the process of firing out around their safety zone just so that yeah. they could have a bigger buffer. So finally, Trenton, uh, or my modulator, gets a hold of me. and says, Chris, do not come up the road. And I go, I'm already committed, dude. Um, you know, he's trying to tell me to do stuff. And I said, Hey, I, I'm out, I'm running out of options. I, I need to, I need to think here. I need to be able to figure out better my, my situation. And I noticed a two track, you know, this, and I'm talking a, a true two track up a spur Ridge that is like a, you know, a, a guy with a, a Suzuki Samurai or, you know, a Jeep is going up to go hunting, not, not suitable necessarily for a type six engine. And I go, that's my only option. That was my, I was down all, that was the only option I had left to select. And so made the decision that, you know what, I'm going to be, it's more survivable uh, up on the Ridge than it's going to be down here. So let's get up on that Ridge. So we, we start up the two track crawling up for low and, and it's real rocky, typical, you know, for that area. By this time I had my windows rolled down. I wanted to see what, you know, figure out what the wind was doing. And, and uh, I hear the, the sound that no operator wants to hear. And I hear that's the sound of uh, air escaping your tires. Oh my gosh. Oh, that is just, I can <laughs> literally feel it be, because, oh man, I was a division trainee on the wallow fire and we were like, I was getting everybody off the division and I was, you know, making the sweep you know, coming in. Yep. And so we're, we're getting everybody off the division because, you know, it's not going to hold. Right. Right. And so I'm sweeping, everybody else is out in front of me and that same thing happened. Boom. And it's like, Oh, it gives me the chills to this yep. day. Like, Oh, I, we're trying to get everybody out. And now I have a flat tire, but you know, in my case, it's cause I had one of those rentals with the, you know, those awful <laughs> yeah. tires. <laughs> yeah. Half ball tires. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. And it's just that it's that sinking feeling. But I mean, your, your situation is like, you like now you've got another uh, talk about a sand table exercise where it's like, yeah. oh, now you have a flat tire and you got to make another decision. Right. You know, I, I just kept going on it. I was like, there's no way we can stop. We need to get at the top of the ridge. Um, we get to the top of the ridge and I, I, I see how the, the two track just is dives off to the back to the south towards that. And I, I watch it and I follow it right towards that repeater site. And I'm like, we need to get there. Our primary uh, escape route's been cut off. Our secondary one's been cut off. Now this is this is the last chance, you know. There's no other option at that time. And things have to happen quickly in that moment, yeah. right? It's not like you have this, this time to be like, well, let me evaluate some other options. It's just like you see something and it's just like – you know, I think we've all been there in, in one way or another, but I, I can totally feel that where you're just like you, you follow it out and you see that's where we're going. Bam. Decision made. That is what we're doing, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, on the rims if needed. Exactly. And that's the way that's the way it was going to be. And um, so I, I, I you know, I, they never teach you in, in engine academy and, and I never was taught when I became an operator. You know, they, they teach you. Yeah, always have your vehicle parked out so that you can make a quick escape. But, you know, they never really mention um, what are you going to do if your means of, of getting to a safety zone is your vehicle because you are in your vehicle driving into a fire or driving to where you're going to be working for the day. They don't really prepare or train you for that. Um, yeah. Now, uh, when I'm driving into a fire, especially initial attack, I'm noting every possible road, you know, safety zone going in there. Or area that I'm that if, if something if it's something turns south I can go back to that you know and I, I just never was taught that I don't know if they if 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 you were but that never to me was 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 hammered into me as an engine operator. Yeah, for sure. You're um, it, it's 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 like a lot of things, right? Our our courses teach us lots and lots of good stuff, and there's there just by the nature of it there's there's a bunch of assumptions built into them you know what i mean and 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 it's in these stories that we that we reveal some of those things it's just like you know when people started really sharing uh, fire shelter deployment stories it, it, it's in those moments that we start to hear some of the uh some of the things about well it doesn't actually fold out the way that you know, that the practice shelter does or whatever, you know what right. I mean? It's only in, and it's that same thing of there's like, Hey, we talk a lot about, um, 
parking your your vehicle ready to go. But then what's next? What's the next mm-hmm. step of like, okay, now you did it and you're in your vehicle and you're driving away. Like that's the extent of the training. Exactly. <laughs> no, it really you're is. Gonna, you're going to make it away. When that's I, when I became a, a engine module leader and engine captain, I, that was something I impressed upon both my, my engine, my AFEO and my FEO. Um, and I also had a water tender at my station and it was, Man, I, I I've always wanted to quiz them on that. And I, I'm sure I'm sure I told them why eventually, but I, I I'm sure they were wondering why the heck is he always asking me all these questions just because I wanted to, I was trying to get them to be aware and I and you know and I think that's a module leader's job. I mean, once you get to that level, you you realize that and that you you're you're that's something you're doing subconsciously. But I really wanted to you know get those uh, operators to to think about that. Um, especially because my module leader wasn't there. And, and so I, my thought, my, my biggest fear was like, okay, my, my operator goes and gets a, uh, goes to refill his tank and he gets in a, a, a sticky situation. I want to be able to think for himself and be able to problem solve and, and come out with a good outcome. But yeah, again, that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we, we, we talk about it in tactical decision game world where it's like, oh, you're, your crew supervisor is not there. And so now you have to make the tough decision. That's real, man. That stuff happens, right? Because like all of a sudden that like that's what you're doing. You're making all the yep. decisions. You even had to tell your engine captain, hey, hey, man, you kind of need to leave, leave me alone because you're not going to help me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm and, in it right now. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's intense. Yeah, it's it, it definitely. And at the time, you know, I think back at it, 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 it was everything happened so quickly. And yeah, the adrenaline is rushing. But I also I remember thinking with a lot of clarity, like okay, I was pulling every slide from my carousel that I had learned from lessons learned from other fires. I mean, and so I think that definitely helped me, uh, you know, with option selections. It helped open up some option selections a little wider than if I hadn't had, you know, done that. When I got up to the top of the ridge, I'm like, man, there, there, there's a safety zone. I'm, we're going to make this, you know. And that definitely, I thought we were, were golden, and then. I get stuck in the sand up at the top of the ridge, oh. and that 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 flat tire is not helping. And I, I'm maneuver trying to maneuver my way out of it, and there was a rock escarpment there uh, right off the the road. And uh, all of a sudden, my I hear, feel my back the back end of the the engine just get sucked downward. I'm I'm trying to like gun to get out of it, and and my wheels are just spitting. I'm like, what the heck? What happened now? You know? And I jump out of the engine. I noticed I'm high centered. Uh, the rock oh. gave way underneath my uh, the, on the passenger side and, and gave way underneath the the duel and just high centered it on the pumpkin, uh, the rear diff. And, and it was at that point that was where or my mindset meant we're going to make it to no, we need to. This is going to be a survival moment, not not a we need to get to uh, that repeater site moment. We're we're good. Oh, um, that's where I really started feeling it. Uh, and it was it like immediately, like once you saw it was high centered, it was just like, OK, this is a this is a new level of uh, difficulty. 100 percent, because I'm looking through a, a saddle and then up a, a short uh, jaunt up to the top of the ridge where the uh, um, repeater side is. It was I think they clocked it. At, it was just less than a mile that we were going to have to hike it to to there. Um, it was not great. So you know, here here you go. Option selection. I'm thinking, okay, I'm I'm on a I'm I'm on a rock on knob. I'm on, I'm not in a saddle at this point. I'm I'm coming I'm just in, coming into a saddle. I'm like, and I, I'm looking at the fire the below me, and that's kind of burning away from me. But also the main fire, that's what's coming towards me. That's what's about about to hit me now. That the, the actual main portion of the fire mm-hmm. that we were actually going to go fire out on. So my first instinct is, all right, I told uh, my firefighter, I said, fire up the pump. Uh, actually, I fired up the pump for him. I said, grab the nozzle. I'm going to try to um, try to see if I can get burn out around this this engine and 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 uh, give us a safety zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're top of the ridge, man. The grasses weren't as abundant as they were down below. And it, it, nothing was taking. The winds weren't in our favor. Um, fire was too, in, in hindsight, thinking about it, fire was too far away to even get sucked into itself. Sure, I I, sure. I and at that point, when I realized it wasn't take, it wasn't working, I said, you know, we're going to have to make this this hike on foot um, to the safety zone. There's no other way around it. Made the decision. I said, uh, I told my firefighter, I said, load your pockets with fusies. When the time's right, we're going to drag fire, bring fire with us, and we're going to bring it all the way to the safety zone. That was my thought. Mm-hmm. And we start trying to anchor off so this this big rock outcropping that was there, and we start trying to drag fire with us. And again, it's it's not the right time. It's the timing's not correct. The winds weren't in our favor, 
and uh, the fuels just weren't weren't taken. And so I, I kind of banded that. I said, you know what, Austin, we need, just need to book it. We, I think we could still make it. For sure. So, and, oh, man, that, that thing about lighting, I've heard it uh, at, at least two other times where people like in their mind are they're going to wag dodge it. Right. Yep. Like that's that's the thing they're going to do. And then you go to light it and it and it doesn't do the thing yeah. that you're thinking, which is like, oh, Insta Black, like, you yep. know what I mean? Like, it just and, doesn't happen. And that that honestly, I'm, 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 I tried it another time, one more time as a, one of my last ditch efforts, that same thing. So, I mean, once we started booking it, I realized the fire's getting closer. We're not going to make it to the oh. to the repeater site. I oh. did try to wag dodge it. I went to the other side of the ridge and lit a fire uh, with my drip torch. I still had that with me. And it didn't it wouldn't it, it took. But it was it wasn't it wasn't like, you know, like you see, like, you know, wag dodge style where it just took in a nice big circle and you could just walk right into it. It was okay. like narrow fingery going down the slope, but it wasn't it wasn't growing in size big enough where I felt that it was going to be a, a safety zone, you know, or you just step into it. So I that's the moment that was my aha moment that I was like, you know what? I, I looked at my firefighter. So we got to drop our packs. We, we, we have to run. We have to make it up as at least out of the saddle as far as we can get. And uh, we dropped our packs. I told I told my firefighter to take his gloves, his fire shelter, and his radio, and ditch his fusies out of his out of his uh, mm-hmm. pants pockets, which he did. He ditched his fusies, took his radio. His gloves were still there, and I was not in the safety officer mindset of you know I need to check to make sure he has his gloves. I'm doing the same with my stuff, <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. And so as soon as we dropped our packs, man, it was like Carl Lewis uh, and. I may be dating myself, but, you know, it was like a, it was like a sprint, a sprint up that hill. Um, and so as we're running up the hill towards towards where the repeaters are out of the saddle on the ridge there, it, there was like a false peak right before it. it was at the false peak. And I thought we were there. We weren't. And the fire is right below us. I could feel the radiant heat coming up the hill. And I was like, we're going to have to deploy. We're not going to be able to make it. We were. We were within like 600 yards of of getting making it to the repeater site. Oh, what a brutal call! But it's just like every you're, you know, and it keeps changing, right? You yeah. keep having to say, okay, we're gonna do this. No, nope. now nope. we have to do this. Now we have to, like the decision making never stops. And, and and what's funny is, you know, I think we th- we as firefighters are think we're good at at decision making when it comes to fire, and we can we can corral fire and we can tame fire. I think that, no, man, fire dictates 100% our decision-making what we're going to do. We may have moments that we're successful in that, but, man, uh, fire is unpredictable. Weather is unpredictable. So I think that that that's something that we really need to drive home uh, to our new uh, firefighters is that just because you – you, you saw something and, and, and you and something was successful. That doesn't mean that it's going to be successful next time. And maybe what we're good at is reacting to fire. Because, I mean, yeah. you're you at least what you're doing in those moments is you are recognizing the situation that you're in. Yeah, it's right. not ideal and you're not in charge, but your reactions matter, too, because yeah. you could have gotten committed to something and 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 not altered your decision based on the conditions at hand. Right. And you, and, and, um, that, that, that's it. That's an important skill just because you're not driving. It doesn't mean that there isn't benefit in being able to be nimble and, and react. Right. Resilient, resiliency. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So yeah, I, I made the decision, Hey, we, we got to deploy. Um, I, I put a little fire, there's some sparse ground. I put a little uh, fire down on the ground with my drip torch, tossed my drip torch as far as I could throw it. And uh, I, I'm yelling at, at my firefighter, you know, we got to deploy. And he's just kind of, he, he's got that deer in the headlights look like, what, what, what are you telling me to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I remember uh, my hotshot, old hotshot soup is, you know, show him what right looks like. So I'm like, okay, well, let me show him why I, I need to show, get him out of his, his trance. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, pull, I pull my shelter out. I'm trying to start open. Uh, I try to start open the the cellophane, and I because of of my incident and a little Venus and and also the New York Peak uh, the incident. Um, that was that was where the retrofit to the tabs of the fire shelter came in because my tabs immediately broke off. So I'm, I I had a little bit open. It opened it a little bit, but I had to take my glove off, shove my fingers in there, and rip the cellophane package off um and i did that through my glove underneath my my sh- underneath my armpit and with my along with my radio and I'm, I'm ripping it open and immediately when i try to fan it out the wind takes it and it almost became a kite and at that same time the wind came up because the fire is just screaming at us at this point and it took my hard hat and flipped it down the hill and i'm like 
crap, what am I going to do now? I, I got to get in the shelter. And so I go to the ground, I get in the shelter. Austin's just still, oh, my firefighter, he's just still holding his, uh, his shelter. And he's looking at me. He looks down into the green, looks at me and looks into the green again and just bolts. I go like where I'm going to get up to go chase after him. And I look and the, the flames are just right below me, maybe 15, 20 feet below me. I get hit with radiant heat, a blast of radiant heat. Uh, I was like, I, I can't, I can't yeah. do this. I had to make the hardest and probably the hardest ethical decision in my life. Do I, do I run after him in hopes that I can catch him and tackle him to the ground and put him in the shelter with me? Or do I ride this out and, and hope I can find him when I'm done? Oh, and that I chose, is brutal, man. Brutal. Man, to this day, when I think about it, 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 it gives me, you know, for a long time afterwards, it gave me nightmares. It was just, it's something that um, was, was really, was a really tough decision that I had to make. Yeah. And you have zero time. No, not the time is the door is closed at this point. Yeah. 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 So, um, so I, end, I end up, I'm still screaming at him, yelling at him, trying to get him to get in his shelter, hoping that he's going to call back at me. I, I hear nothing. Almost instantly, the flaming front goes over me. Um, I can feel the rate, the heat. And I'm like, man, I'm, I, I've got, I, I don't have a glove on my one hand because it dropped when I opened up the shelter. Um, my, I grabbed my radio, brought it in, you know, and this whole time I, I'd been in communication. I made a announcement over the, over a command that I, two firefighters were deploying of roughly where we were. I tried to get air tankers uh, and well, actually at the time they had, they, had, they had some seats that were working the fire and a couple of helicopters. Um, I tried to get them right before we dropped our packs. I pulled my GPS out and was trying to get I couldn't get a lock on coordinates because I I'd never pulled my G- GPS out, you know, in, in Elko before. So it, it's taking forever. Ah, and back then yeah. it was those big bricks that we had. You know, it wasn't those wasn't this 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 wazoo stuff that we, we have now. Yeah. And so I couldn't get a lock on and I couldn't waste afford to waste time to wait for it to it. So I couldn't get the helicopters and the in there, the seats over to help slow this thing down. And so I grabbed the radio just because I, I wanted to have that in the shelter with me. I needed to have that communication link when and I left my 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 glove. And so I didn't have a glove on. I didn't have a helmet on. So I'm just doing my best to cover my head with a one gloved hand. And if you read the reporter, see, see the, the videos and some of the burn injuries that happened, you can, you'll see how they have, why they happened sure. because of not having, you know, the glove on, but all this whole time I'm, I'm yelling and screaming for Austin. Um, I was in the, the shelter. It seemed like, man, and I know everybody says this is this to deploy to fire shelters. It seems like eternity. Um, but it was anywhere between 16 and 18 minutes. And the reason why I say that is because by the time I made notification that I was going to deploy, uh, my module leader had been sitting there with his watch and was counting down the minutes till mm-hmm. I came back up out, out of the shelter and said that I was okay. And he was really getting worried. Wow. And it was 18, a little over 18 minutes. And I say 16 to 18, cause you know, the minute or so to get into the shelter and yell at Austin, you know, give or take mm-hmm. a minute or so. And I immediately got out. Uh, actually not immediately. I, I peaked. It was still hot. And I went, I got out. Um, I immediately went looking for Austin. By this time, the helicopter had come overhead. And uh, finally, he found us. He actually was circling around the engine. The engine made it through. It was burned. It, I mean, it was charred, but, uh, you know, it scorched, I should say. Sides got scorched. The light bar was, you know, melted. But the engine made it through. And, and a lot of people asked me, you know, afterwards, why didn't you just stay with the engine? And I said, well, you know, uh, it's funny you say that. One of the slides I had in my head was an engine uh, that was fighting a fire, you know, 60 miles to the west and just outside of uh, Winnemucca that sucked an ember into the uh, – cab and burnt to the ground on a mobile attack for sure and i was i i didn't want to be in a barbecue that was why i felt my my comfort level and safety of safety was i needed to get to that safety zone yeah and it's just like okay so you see the picture of the engine that you know like you're you're describing it's okay don't forget that that that's after the fact right like it's not like you could see that and like you're you're standing there you just had a flat tire now you're high centered and now the fire's coming at you that's a whole like you know and you did you you considered it you you fired up the pump you tried to make some black and all that stuff you had to make the decision with the the scenario you're faced with which is a wall of friggin fire coming at yeah. you you know and and the terrain isn't is not the terrain that they advise you to be in right right <laughs> so yeah. uh, i could see when i saw that picture of the of the engine afterwards i could see oh yeah there's there's all the 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 folks with the um the 2020 hindsight and go oh right. well they should have just they should have just sat in the cab of the engine they would have been yeah. fine yeah yeah, yeah you know, a hard could, thing I, to predict. It, it, it is very hard. And, you know, sometimes 
those untangibles versus those tangible decisions that you make, yeah. uh, they pan out. Sometimes they don't. And I didn't want to have it that that's an untangible position, uh, decision that, uh, that it's 50, 50 where tangibly, if I can get to that safety zone, actually get to sure. a safety zone, that's where I want to be, you know? Sure. So and sitting, waiting for something yes, to happen versus exactly. doing something. Oof, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take doing something almost every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent, you know, trying to better my situation instead yeah. of kind of giving up, you know? So helicopter gets over and finds Austin and I immediately just went into, you know, EMT mode and started treating him. He, he did get in his shelter and I asked him afterwards, um, I, when we were in the burn center, we, we were fortunate enough that they put us in the same room together. And, and um, I said, what, what made you get in the fire shelter? And he looked at me and he said, I didn't want to do pushups. All of those pushups that we had done on the assignment prior where he did seven or 800 pushups, he, that, that muscle memory, that repetition, you know, that was the mother of all skill that that was what got him in there. And I, I thank God to this day that, that we had done that. And we, cause that, that was what ultimately got him into the fire shelter. And I also asked him, I said, why did you run? And he goes, man, I honestly don't know. It, it complete, you know, fight or flight took over for him. Mm-hmm. You know, afterwards, uh, I, I look at it, you know, analyzing it, you know, A, we had some crew cohesion issues. Uh, myself and, and, and the, the module leader were, there was a lot of friction going on. We still were in that storm coming into the perform phase. We had performed on the fire before and done it really well. We were in sync art, you know, we had that, that synergy, but we weren't there yet, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, a lot of that was my maturity uh, at the time, you know, and um, I'm not going to speak for my moderator and what his what he thinks. But, um, you know, at the time, I, you know, eight seasons in, I, 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 I'd seen some some shit. I, I knew what I was doing, you know, for and sure. you know, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. So and I also had that invincible, you know, yeah. feeling, you know, nothing, nothing like this is ever going to happen to me. Well, okay, it did. And, uh, and that's a big takeaway. And I, when I talk to a lot of people about this is, is you know, what's one big lesson that you, you took away from this? And I, and I say, don't ever go into a situation thinking, oh, that'll never happen to me because <laughs> it can and it will. Hopefully that if it does, it's a minor, you know, incident where it just knocks you um, upside the head and says, hey, I need to knock off thinking I'm invincible. You know, I, I am very fallible, you know, and so that's kind of one of the biggest takeaways I've ever had on this, this incident. Um, yeah. And it's a hard thing to implement too, right? Because it's like, you, you know, we all understand that it's good to, to good to get humbled, but you, you hope that the humbling is not that extreme. Uh, we'd rather people be able to get that lesson on a sand table rather yeah, than absolutely. burn center. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, yeah. That's a tough one. And I, and I hear that a lot and I had this, I had the same thing, you know what I mean? Like Nevada 99 entrapment and oh man, the, the, uh, I wasn't even eight years in, like I was like five years in and I, I, you know, I was a hot shot and I just, I, I was pretty impressed with myself and, and I had very little reason to be, you had way more reason to like, you were making like super dialed decisions. And, um, yeah, I think about the, that combination where we all are, on that that trajectory of confidence yeah. <laughs> you know it's that's a tough one but but i hear it a lot from people afterwards is yeah. like hey don't don't think it can't happen to you and then the the rest of the question is like okay so so what does it look like to say yes this can happen to me yeah that's a tough question to thing to think about yes this can happen to me because no one no one wants to admit that this could happen to them you know it's it's tough yeah it's like trying out for something i usually go in with the mindset of like I will not quit and I will not fail. Right. Like I think that right. is setting me up for success. You know, I don't know. It's, it's true. It's, it's, it's true. It's a, it's a, it's a and I a do the laundry. same thing. I, yeah. I've done the same thing my whole life, you know, whether it be baseball teams, football teams, yeah. you know, same, same scenario. But, um, I have a theory. It's not really, uh, it's my theory, um, that every firefighter goes through three phases. Um, you got your sponge, your learning phase when you're, you know, first, second, third year in, you're trying to soak, soak it all in, learn as much as you can. Then you get to a point where you think you know it all. And then either you have a great leader or a uh, situation happens, um, and, and hopefully it's not a serious one that snaps you back in that you, you really don't know it all. You need to be continuing to become a student of fire. And and, and I think I think that just from my observations of, of leading leading uh, engine crews or, or folks on a fire, that that's I've noticed 
over the years that, that I may be dumbing this down a lot. There may be studies out there on, on it. I don't know. But, you know, I, I really think that there's something there's very few people that go out, go through life without having those three phases of very few firefighters, unless they've got a really good leader that keeps them focused on. You don't know it all. You, you, you still need to keep learning in the day you need, think you know it all. That's the day you really need to do a self-assessment. For sure. And so that so that it's the sponge on either end. Is that what you're saying? Like you, yeah. you, at, at some point you, you stop collecting information or absorbing it, you know what I mean? Because you think you are saturated. Right. And then, and then there's an event that somehow makes you more receptive again. You, you, yeah. you I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I think that that happens in all kinds of things, right? Not just fire. Right. There's the you know, finances. Some people figure yeah. that out with finances or with <laughs> relationships or. Um, oh, yeah. Big time with relationships for sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, or um, just driving. Think about like when you uh-huh. when, yeah. you know, early on. Right. When you're just very timid. Yeah. And then you start getting comfortable and then you do something crazy and you almost flip your your parents rig or whatever. Yeah. And then. <laughs> yep. Probably shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely it. Yeah, and then you do it again, right? Then you start yeah. getting confident again, and yeah. kind of goes in those waves. Yeah, for sure. But over over a career, and especially that that time period in our career where we're really in, like it's like you described that fire season, and it's just like action, 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 yeah. right? Like um, yep. it's hard not to uh, convince yourself that like you got this thing dialed. I think that's the those fire seasons where it's action, action, action is especially dangerous. And, you, and think about it. We've been having those type of fire seasons for the last, I think we like had one, one year in the last five years that has kind of been mellow. Four out of five years, we've been going, going, going. It's hard right. not to fall in that trap, you know? Yeah, if you're living it. And, and, and right. especially if you're like, you're pretty dialed and you did do some amazing things like, you know, it's, uh, you want the confidence. We all say that experience, experience, yeah. experience, and you get confidence. And there, there there's a downside to that. It's a healthy balance of yeah. confidence and humility. And I think that's that's where, where you got to take that. Yeah. But there are, you know, there's silver linings uh, to this incident. You know, I, I, we mentioned in the beginning of the, you know, because of what happened uh for, for me and DUI and what happened with the El Dorado Hotshots and, and, and New York Peak Fire, both the DUI and the Forest Service came came out with some clear direction because we we literally were put into a hotel room with a bottle of Vicodin pretty much yeah. uh, and yeah. a case of beer. And, and I'm not joking. Yeah. Because the, the doctors in Elko, they'd never seen radiant heat burns. They didn't realize that, you know, 48 to 72 hours is when they sh- show their true severity. And so I literally, I was, I thank God for, for my FMO and my state FMO at the time. They put us on, they, they pretty much told the serious acts investigation team that we were going to a burn center. And then there was no clear protocol, right? So they put us on a commercial airline back to the LA area and got checked in. I remember I went straight from the airport uh, to the burn center, Grossman Burn Center down in LA. And they took one look at me and they were like, you're, you're being admitted now. And I was like, it's, it's, no, it's not that bad. I was only told it was second degree burns. I'm just here to get checked out. And they're like, no, you're going to need surgery. Austin, unfortunately, uh, went to the burn center closest to his house up in central California. And he wasn't getting the treatment that he needed. Mm. And uh, it took the Wildland Firefighter Foundation to actually pay for his transport down to Grossman Burn Center three days later. And you think about burn injury protocol, Um, you know, these things all come from someplace and it's like, but they didn't do the medical incident report like Dutch Creek hadn't even happened yet. Right. Like, that's crazy to think of now. We're talking about an event in 2006, like Dutch Creek protocol couldn't be a thing because the Dutch Creek fire hadn't occurred. Like Andy Palmer was still alive. He was in high school. Right. It's weird to look back and, and think about that. And it also shows that, like, yeah, this is kind of how we learn stuff. The medical incident report, man, that that makes reporting an injury so much better. And burn injury protocol didn't used to be a thing we said. Nobody knew, like, if you would have said that, people would be like, what are you talking about? It's 100%. Um, and when during my incident, you know, there was no burn injury protocol. 
uh, now, because of it, we are able to uh, take better care of our firefighters, which is uh, our, our number one goal. Big shout out to, to Ken Kempner. Um, he, he, he was the biggest driving force on the Forest Service side. And, and I'd only met Ken once before this, but now we've become uh, close friends and I've worked for him. And there's a reason for that because he really cared about, you know, how we get our firefighters treatment and making sure we do the right thing. I think that was the step in the we'll do what's right culture that we're trying to strive for and that we're getting way better and closer at, mm-hmm. but we're still not quite there. But we'll get it's just it's taken a long time. I mean, it's been over 15 years to get to where we're at now. Yeah. And I think we're the there's always these galvanizing events that uh, that get us headed in a direction. And then oftentimes what it takes is like, here's this event and there's all this emotion and and, and people are, are like moved to action. But then it also takes like a, a champion to kind of keep it going, right? Because that momentum dissipates after yeah. the event, and you know, and then m- maybe sometimes there's another event, and then and then it kind of gets people riled up again. But um, but that's all part of the cycle of uh, learning, both individually and and organizationally, right? And um, it's so crazy. Like we were talking about, burn injury protocol used to not be. Yeah. A term like I don't ever no. remember hearing that. <laughs> it wasn't. Was it really that. was not. You know that you know our, our, our brothers and sisters in the structure, the municipal side had that, and 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 they had that because you know the structure fire stuff. But they were able to adapt that very well into the wildland game. We just didn't. We weren't there. Yeah. El Dorado was treated the same way. They had half their guys had to ch- uh, check themselves into into sure. burn centers, just like Austin. I did. It all happened. You know, within a month of each other, almost a month to the day, all in northern Nevada. And it's like, man, you know, what a, what a way to test it out. And the other good thing that came from this is and a lot of people ask, why do I have two caseworkers when I, you know, dealing with the Forest Service side and Albuquerque Service Center? And then you're dealing with the Department of Labor. And, and, and it's because I had I had to deal with Department of Labor on my own. There was no one to advocate for me or tell me what I needed to do or how to maneuver it. At least our agencies are, are are recognizing that and trying to assign a someone from the agency that can help navigate OWCP and Department of Labor and getting compensated for your time off and not having to worry about, you know, when's my next, how am I going to pay the bills or rent the next month because I'm in a hospital, you know, so that, that we've come a long way that way, too. Yeah. And, and there's and there's a long way to go. And I think we all we all recognize that. But I think you know, sharing our stories is, is a big part of that. And we have to, um, uh, it's easy to get sucked into, oh, you know, the agency's bad and they don't take care of us. And, and I, th- I think we, we just, you know, we have to allow for us to grow. We definitely need to point out the flaws. Absolutely. We need to call, call a spade a spade in those instances. And we need to like recognize progress and then, and then help. Right. Like right. Let's help us move forward. And, and I mean, and you're an example of that just by telling your story, but also by some of the things that you uh, uh, contribute to. Right. Like, aren't you uh, cadre for uh, you will not stand alone? Yeah. After this burnover happened, um, you know, I was, I, I'm like, I can't believe this happened to me. You know, I, I really messed up. And uh, yeah, I had, I had an influential leader look at me and say, what are you going to do about it? I said, what do you, what do you mean you're going to do about it? And he goes, you've been spared. You've gone through something that a lot of people don't walk away from. You need to do something with that because you've got a story to tell and you could be a change. So I always, because of that, my, I've been trying to seek out, you know, you will not stand alone, making sure we take care of each other. Um, that's the whole reason why I, I pursued trying to uh, work for the Lessons Learned Center. I, I at the time of the the, the uh, burnover, the Lessons Learned Center was it's just was in its baby infinite stages. It was just still getting going, you know. And um, I didn't really have that conduit to be able to give. There wasn't rapid lesson sharing. There was no FLA, you know. So I, I'm so happy where we're at with that now, with a more of a just learning culture. So that man, I want to get back. There's there's a reason why I made it. There's a reason why I decided to keep fighting fire as mm-hmm. long as I have. You know, I, I can't be a bump on a log. I got to be able to give somebody something so that it helps them. You know, be better firefighter. And that's 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 the biggest lesson that came out for me personally. 
for sure and and everybody has that on 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 a different scale right like right. it's like obviously you have the one that's on the like oh man that guy's had to like pull out the fire shelter like that's that's intense you know but everybody has a version of some intense or maybe not even intense just an insight right just a lesson that they have and and um we can we can share that within our sphere of influence whatever that is and 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 uh it can help sometimes grow your sphere of influence um but remembering why you do it i think is is important i would i would imagine it is for me 100 percent. you got any uh last little bit that you want to pass on yeah i guess the biggest thing is um for for anybody who has been in a close call or or uh an entrapment um or, or or even you know tree felling accident don't let it get you down always seek to uh help improve others with that experience that you've gone through the first thing that i thought of when i deployed my shelter literally as i'm getting my shelter is like how did i a how did i get here and b i really messed up mm-hmm. and that really that was hard it was a really hard pill to swallow and and I'm, I'm i'm very fortunate enough i had some influential leadership that made sure that i didn't dwell on that and i didn't go down a deep dark hole and so just i just for people that have that have had this in you know, we're human. We are going to make mistakes. That's how we learn. Don't let that get you down. And it, it, and there's other people out there that have gone through the same thing that you have or very similar that are here for you and that will, you know, you can, heck, you can give me a call. You can you can yeah. email me. Yeah, at that shared that shared experience, you know, just because you, you you weren't there together, but so much of that aftermath can be similar. So much of those those feelings of you know I screwed up. I hear that from so many people, and I also hear that connection helps soothe that. However, that connection is established, like you said, and and I hear it from people that yeah, call me, you know, if yeah. if they've come through it to the point where you're at, they're like yeah, I want to hear from somebody, um, or I've heard people say man just hearing that story or just reading that thing it, it made me feel like i wasn't alone and that you know the events are like 15 years apart or something like that right, but they right, still connect 100%. with it yeah. <laughs> um and investing in that connection for, for a whole bunch of different reasons but but what you're talking about like just as a survival thing right, right. because i mean, a mental the, health thing yeah know? exactly like mental health and survival like same same right yeah right (laughs) whether it's reaching out or or even just uh starting to allow yourself to to believe that that you aren't the only one and um and that there is there's an ear out there somewhere whether it's somebody that hasn't gone through it yet um and is willing to 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 really invest in hearing your story or somebody that has has suffered a similar thing and felt similar things that's important man it's a, it's it's the biggest lesson I, that i i think i could come up with uh, for me personally I, I really hope that uh i could encourage other people to to do the same all right chris well i appreciate you taking the time to share your story it's powerful and uh you're doing good work well, thank you, Travis, for giving me the opportunity uh, in this platform. It's helped me along in the healing process for sure. Thanks to Chris for taking the time to share his story. So what'd you think? It's pretty amazing how fast things can change and how fast our instincts kick in. Do you and your crew train for quick decision-making? I hope listening to Chris and his story will inspire some dialogue. Remember to visit our website to continue your study on the mud fire or to search for additional incidents from which you can learn. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for listening to the Wildfire Lessons Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, share, give us a review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wildfire Lessons. For more information, visit wildfirelessons.net. Music provided by second-generation smoke jumper Steve Baker, who always likes to keep one foot in the black. Thanks, Steve. Remember, we honor through learning.